Well, I want to start this morning with a bit of a dilemma I had recently. And I would love to know how you might respond if you were in a similar situation. So I want you to imagine now, you get home, you've had a busy day at work, uh, you may be feeling a bit tired, a bit stressed and hungry, as I was. And as you arrive home, you notice that over the front of your porch and the, the kind of driveway, there's litter and stuff just being dumped there. You know it's come over from the neighbours, and you know who, and it's probably come out of a top bedroom window, and um, you see it and you're pretty frustrated. So, do you, A, think about throwing it over the fence, back to them, and think of creative ways of how to get them evicted? Do you, B, clear up quietly and cheerfully, posting a changing lives leaflet through the door? <laughs> do you, C, chuck it back over the fence, it's their rubbish and it serves them right? Or D, go to a fast food restaurant for a burger and chips, make it large, because it's a good excuse for comfort food. So I'm going to give you about eight seconds to tell the person next to you what you do. Go. Okay, that's enough. That's enough. Okay, I'm, I have to admit, I have to admit that I went for A. So I thought long and hard, well, not long and hard, I wanted to throw it back over, and the fact that I got carrier bags in my hand is probably the reason I didn't. And I certainly went indoors and started thinking like, oh, my neighbors, how could I get rid of them? Uh, which isn't great. I don't like telling tales. Um, feel free to ask Tom, my husband, what he did. And it wasn't go to a fast food restaurant. I'll say no more. Anyway, you've just realized. Anyway, today we're continuing the series Being Church and Being a Compassionate Church. And I have been asking myself recently, what does it mean for me personally to be a compassionate person? And this obviously kind of was a real sharp focus for me with the situation with my neighbors, when actually they deserved my compassion. I know what's going on in some of their lives. And I realized how on the inside, how quickly I can get irritated, frustrated, and completely discompassionate. And the state of my heart it isn't always good. So when you hear the word compassion, what comes to mind? What do you consider, you know, do you consider yourself as a compassionate person? Or maybe not. You, you might think compassion is for a certain type of person, it's not really your thing. But I would encourage all of us today, just for these few minutes, to engage with this subject, because I actually think it's a real challenge. As a church, we're known for our compassion through things like the arches, which John described very well earlier. We've been giving out food, clothing, furniture, and supporting all kinds of people in need. Through our small groups, we're known for going out into the city and doing all kinds of compassionate things. I know as individuals, I hear so many stories of people doing some amazing things. But as we think about being a compassionate church, we need to think about being a compassionate people and what that actually looks like for each one of us especially as followers of Jesus. So today I want to look at what is compassion, the call, the cost, and the commission. I thought three C's makes me sound like a proper, a proper speaker. So um, the first one is what is compassion then? Well, the definition I found that I really liked is it says this, 
the ability to understand the emotional state of another person or oneself with the added element of having the desire to alleviate or reduce the suffering of another. Ollie, the other week, one of our pastors when he spoke, described compassion brilliantly as being an emotion we feel in our gut, then that propels us into action. It's about being moved inwardly to yearn with tender mercy, affection, and empathy. It actually refers to the deepest possible feelings we can have, a bit like that modern-day expression, you know, from the bottom of my heart. I actually think it's really hard to put into words. You know, and I know when I have a sense of overwhelming compassion, I can't put it into words. Compassion isn't always logical. It doesn't always make sense. It's often lavish, an overflow of our heart. And I think God loves it when we respond with compassion because he sees the heart behind it. I suppose if I was to look back and tell you some of my um, compassion mistakes, um, but to be honest, when I've supposedly made mistakes, I don't regret it. You can't really get into trouble and be told off for being too compassionate. Saying that, uh, a little while ago, I was um, visiting a friend up in Scotland, and I was getting the train home from a little station called Dunbar. And as I was going to the station, it was a really cold day, and there was a, a guy outside the station who was, who was clearly drunk. He was, um, he was shouting. He was obviously really distressed. And I managed to eventually get him into the station, get him a hot drink, and just try and engage with him. Whereupon the um, ticket man behind the ticket counter thing came out and, and started telling me off. He went, you idiot, what have you done bringing him in, in here? I spent all morning trying to get him out. Now you brought him back in. So I'm like, oh, sorry. I was really relieved when my train came. Um, but I know so many people here who go the extra mile. Um, Sue Borgazani, many of you will know, and she's on the team at the Arches. And I remember quite recently, she uh, met a woman, a single parent woman, who was having triplets. And Sue being Sue was just so overwhelmed with compassion, she ends up visiting, doing, I think, night feeds, babysitting, uh, food rotors, you know, you name it. She broke all the rules and guidelines we have at the Arches, but, you know, I couldn't be cross with her. But throughout the Bible, there are so many references to God being a compassionate God. And Jesus is our great role model and inspiration. God is the one behind compassion. He created us to express it. It's because of his nature that we do what we do, and it comes from the heart of God. I think we can be guilty of viewing compassion as something maybe for weak soft people, you know, the meek and mild types who have time on their hands. But you know, in truth, expressing true compassion towards others reveals a real strength of character that I actually think few people possess. I have a, quite a number of compassion heroes, and I just want to mention three of them. Uh, the first one is a guy called Father Damien. I've got a picture. <laughs> he doesn't look great, does he? <laughs> he looks worn out. Anyway, not his finest hour for a photo, but it's the only one we could find. But he was a Catholic priest in 1860 in Hawaii. Leprosy was, well, it was just rampant in that part, and there was a real lack of understanding about the disease. So what they would do is collect everybody up who they discovered had leprosy and just send them off into exile into this uh, kind of remote island called, Mo I think it was Moloke, I don't know how you pronounce it. And you can imagine this place was described as hell on earth with hundreds of people, men, women, and children, ill and dying in terrible conditions, not only of, of, of poverty and lack, but just illness. 
I cannot imagine the desperation, the hopelessness, the smells and sounds of death and dying, and just the fear that must have been in that place. So there was Father Damien, a young priest, and he volunteered. Yes, he volunteered to go and set up a parish as he felt compelled to meet the spiritual needs of these people. And he wanted to do whatever he could do to help them. His, his boss um, said to him, I'll get you out, I'll get you out in a few months, this is a crazy thing to do. And his parting words were, don't touch anybody. Father Damien could have, you know, left after a few months, he'd done his bit, and he could have decided not to touch anyone. But instead, he got stuck in, building schools, hospitals, clinics, uh, churches, and also raising the whole awareness of, of leprosy globally. But most of all, he had compassion for the people treating them with dignity and respect, and could do nothing but practically get involved and get his hands dirty. He announced he was a leper in 1885 and died at aged 49. I think it's an incredible, uh, moving and powerful example of what compassion looks like through one person just stepping out. My second compassion hero is a guy called Lenny Henry. Many of you will know him as the comedian. And some time ago now, he was in a documentary called Famous, Rich and in the Slums. I don't know if any of you saw it. And he had to live with a family just for one week in one of the biggest slums in Nairobi, Kenya. And this family obviously were very poor. They were living on, I think, £1.50 a week. And he had to live with them, and he wasn't allowed to do anything for them other than just be part of the family. This family also, they'd been orphaned. So basically, the older um, son, boy, 14-year-old, was looking after his siblings. Well, after about two days, Lenny Henry said to the producers, I can't do this, I'm out, I cannot do this. I cannot watch and be part of this suffering. I have to do something. So he got taken off the programme and actually took initiative and helped them with housing and education. Anyway, he went back four years on just to kind of reflect on what happened. And I thought you'd like to see um, how the family is doing now. So take I first met Bernard four years ago when life was really, really awful for him. His parents had both died, and Bernard was spending all his time trying to provide for himself and his four siblings whilst living in a terrible, horrible hellhole. So with Comic Relief's help and a little bit of cash from me, we were able to move Bernard and his family to a better place to live and give him the thing he wanted most in the world, an education. Oh, my God! <laughs> <laughs> Hello, Lynette. Bernard and his family hadn't seen the clips from when we first met four years ago. Nothing could have prepared me for when I met this family of five orphans and 14-year-old Bernard who was struggling to make ends meet. Hello. How are you? I'm Len. I'm Bernard. Hello, Bernard. Yeah. How are you? I'm fine. Left with the responsibility of raising his family, Bernard was trapped in poverty. We all found it tough watching the footage again. If your mom's dead and your dad's dead, and you've been a parent for a while, for more than two or three years, maybe it's time somebody else took the strain for you. Mm, I think I could, I, 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 I want to do that for him. I, I can't bear this anymore. It has changed completely. Because before, I think you can remember. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
It has changed. If you can remember that time when you came for the first time, it sorry, was our sorry. first time for. Keep talking. But now you know, since you get to come, you, you you bring us together. You we bring my family together, and it is awesome. Bernard here is proof that a bit of help at the right time can truly change a life forever. You gave him a leg up and not a handout, and he's doing well now. Good job. Good job. <clears throat> It's interesting because I don't think Lenny Henry is a follower of Jesus. And yet, you know, so often we see compassion placed in people's hearts that they actually long to express whatever their beliefs. And certainly in the life of the church, we work with all kinds of um, secular organizations and other faith groups who have a real passion and purpose in this area. So it's not exclusive to us, but I honestly believe it's something kind of that God puts in people's hearts when he created us. And also, it's a great way to find common ground to come alongside and work with others. My third hero is more local, and she's called Marjorie Henderson. Many of you will know her. It's a picture of her coming up. And uh, she's a member of our church and has been for a long time. I don't want to mention her age because she'll tell me off. But um, when I started the Arches 15 years ago now, she was the first, along with her husband David, who came to me and said, we are in, we want to be involved. She was the first up ladders painting the building that needed re renovating. She has overseen all kinds of areas of the arches, things like the laundry, she loves cleaning, she does washing, folding, as well as standing alongside many people, hundreds actually over the years, from all walks of life attending to their needs. 15 years she has given of herself, her time, her energy, her emotions as a volunteer. Not a penny has changed hands. I love Marjorie. I love it that she doesn't kind of fit the mold. She's feisty, you don't mess with her. She speaks her mind, she takes no nonsense. She's the only one that could get men into the showers. <laughs> There's been times when she's actually had to go in with them, but we won't go there. Anyway, but she has left her impact and really, really loved. And yet, you know, she's so soft-hearted. Many a time behind kind of closed doors, you know, I've seen her in tears as she's embraced and engaged and had to um, identify with the pain of so many. She could have retired a while ago and actually be, you know, drinking coffee with friends and shopping at John Lewis. But no, she remains on the front line doing what she's called to do, and I really admire that. They're just three of my heroes, and as you, I'm sure you'd agree, there's nothing faint-hearted, weak or mild about these people. They kind of have big character, they're strong, resilient, and courageous, and I love the fact all of them have taken action. Whether we're receiving compassion or being compassionate, it should never be a demeaning experience for anyone. It's about giving someone a hand up, empowering others to be the best them they can be, strengthening the weak and powerless, equipping and releasing, giving them a voice and a hope that's actually beyond us covering their backs, standing alongside them. We will all need to receive compassion at some point in our lives, as well as give it. Pity cries, but compassion acts. So if that's compassion, and that's what it looks like, what is the call? And the ultimate expression of God's compassion was to send Jesus, his one and only son. He came to serve and to save. As followers of Jesus, we are called to be like him. He is our inspiration, our model, our example, 
and Jesus' ministry was filled with acts of compassion. When we read the Gospels, and I really encourage you to, because there is so much in there, and that's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in the beginning of the New Testament, they tell us of Jesus and his great compassion for mankind. We see that Jesus was moved deeply in his inner being time and time again by the needs of those around him. I often think, you know, how did he do it? How did he manage to be, um, well, in, to reach out in the way he did with such compassion? In Isaiah, a book in the Old Testament, there was a prophet that foretold the life that Jesus would have and what it would look like, and it wasn't going to be glamorous. Jesus did not come into this world to live a comfortable, secure, safe, royal life. The life he lived was difficult at best. He grew up, lived, and died in poverty. He was a refugee, often homeless, hungry, betrayed by his closest friends. He suffered great losses, jeered at, spat at. When he died, his worldly effects consisted of just the clothes on his back. Jesus knew about loneliness. He was despised, hated, and rejected. Jesus knew the feeling of pain. He knew what it felt like to hurt deeply. And as a result, he is able to enter into our hurts with us. He is able to feel our pain and respond. And I want to encourage all those that have been through pain, suffering, and difficulties. And I guess to a degree, that'll be all of us at some stage. But time and time again, I meet people in this church who may have issues with addiction, regretted past mistakes, have been through relationship breakdowns, may be struggling with poverty in all kinds of ways. And actually, it's those people who are often the best equipped and qualified to reach out and come alongside others. I just want to really encourage you in that. I love that Jesus felt the needs of all classes and all kinds of people. He had compassion for the lost. In Matthew 9:36, it says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. He had compassion for sinners. In John 8, there's a beautiful story of a woman caught in adultery who was presented to Jesus. The Pharisees, who were the religious rulers of the day, stood her up in front of everyone, completely humiliating her and wanting to have her stoned and killed. But Jesus' response was one of gentleness and compassion and suggested to the crowd that if any one of them was without sin, that they be the first to throw a stone. In John 8, verse 9, it says this, At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left, with a woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. He feels compassion for the sick and suffering. And again, there are so many examples. In Matthew 14, 14, it says, when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. In Matthew 1, 40 to 42, a man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus was indignant. He reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately, the leprosy left him, and he was cleansed. He feels compassion for those that are seeking. 
Again, there's a great story in Luke 19 about Zacchaeus, who was the tax collector, and shall we say a slightly dodgy dealer. But he wanted to meet Jesus, he was looking for him. So he actually climbed up a tree, so when Jesus came into town, he'd be able to see him. Far from ignoring, Jesus looked at him, picked him out, and then said, I wanna hang out with you, and went to his house, and they had dinner together. Jesus will have known all their faults, without a doubt but did not let that get in the way of his compassion and expression of love. He did not look just at what was apparent on the surface, but he was able to look much deeper into these people and see their deepest needs. I think it can be so easy to base our evaluation on a person in what we see with our eyes or hear with our ears and focus on behaviors rather than actually what's going on underneath, a bit like me with my neighbors. A number of years ago, we had a lady come to the arch, she's called Kathleen. Um, there should be a picture of her coming up. And um, she arrived, and to be honest, when we first met her, she was in, in quite a state. She was pretty much homeless. She did have accommodation, but didn't stay there much. She was drunk, she was smelly, she was really scruffy. Nothing on the outside would have attracted us to her. And I remember week after week, she came and she'd often sleep off her kind of hangover um, on one of the sofas. As we began to get to know her and her story and all she'd been through, do you know, it made total sense why she was, you know, in the state that she was. And over the sort of months that, that sort of followed, you know, we got to know her as the beautiful person that she was. And we saw her life transformed as she met Jesus. She then went on to get baptized here. Sadly, she died, um, I think it was about a year ago now, and a long kind of standing illness. And I was able to, to take her funeral, and it was such a privilege, um, yeah, just to reflect on her life and what God had done. Of course, we cannot meet all of the needs all of the time, and actually, we're not meant to. Even when we may feel we have nothing to give, actually, we do have a choice of how we treat people. Everyone that we get to meet and influence, the challenge is not to see significant problems, but significant people. Everyone deserves to know they are loved, seen, and celebrated. Jesus' compassion is what made him a most attractive character and actually drew people to him. And as followers of Jesus, we are all called to do exactly the same. Let's just ponder just for a few seconds on those different examples of the way Jesus reached out to people in all different types. And think for ourselves, you know, who is it for us? What might it look like? Who do we know that's lost at the moment? Maybe we're ostracized from, you know, family members that we've just kind of pushed to one side. Maybe we've got friends who we know that they've made life choices that we consider as sinful and we kind of don't have anything to do with them now. Who's sick? Who's suffering? people on our street, our neighbors? Who's seeking to know more about Jesus? Work colleagues, people we come into contact every day. Maybe some of you here today are seeking. Well, you've come to the right place. Who is it for us? What might it look like? I think it's really easy to get inspired by the call but it, it does and it will come with a cost. I remember uh, about nine years ago now, um, Tom and I were in different locations and God spoke to us um, both at the same time. 
And I remember I was in Cafe Nero in Beeston, sat in the little garden in the sun, and I was saying to God, you know, what am I about? Who am I for? And I just was feeling a bit lost at the time. And uh, I felt like God said to me, you're called to be a mother. And I thought, well, I've got four children, that kind of makes sense. And then I had this sense, maybe he's asking us to foster and open up our home. Anyway, with excitement, I rang Tom, and he was at this summer camp called New Wine. I know some of you are going this year. And uh, anyway, I rang him, and he said, I, I can't talk now, I can't talk now. I'm just, I'm just, yeah, I can't talk now. So I was a bit irritated, but anyway, I said I'd call him back. So an hour later, he actually called me back, and he said, Helen, I couldn't talk because I was in this meeting, and they were talking about the orphans and the widows, and I feel God might be calling us to foster. And I went, oh my goodness, well, uh, and told him about, you know, being a cafeteria. Anyway, I was all emotion. I'm like, yes, we're going to have the lost children into our home. It's going to be like the Waltons. And, you know, it's just going to be like, we are going to have it all going on. And I have to say, we went through the process and we've had 17 young people through our home in the last nine years. And it's been the hardest thing we've ever done. I'm not saying it hasn't been absolutely out of a sense of call, but oh my goodness, there's been a cost that I can't even go into. We've had our hearts broken as we've heard young people's stories difficulties they've been through, knowing that we can't fix it, we haven't had all the solutions. We struggle with behaviours and our responses to behaviours. We've had to learn so much about ourselves. But for all of us, as we decide to embrace compassion in our everyday lives, there will be a cost. It's going to be messy. This stuff doesn't fit into a nice, neat box that we can tick off like a to-do list. It has to be a lifestyle. Colossians 3 verse 12 says, clothe yourself with compassion. It's an everyday thing. It will impact our emotions. It's about investing in people, not productivity. We won't have all the solutions. And if we do, things don't happen instantly. It will be inconvenient in our busy, driven lives where every second counts and every part of our lives are planned. It probably will cost us financially it will mean we'll have to take the focus off ourselves. It may not come naturally, you may have to work at it. A new study shows that adults can be trained to be more compassionate, so there's no excuses. They found that people can actually build up their compassion muscle and respond to others, a bit like physical and academic skills. Compassion can be enhanced with training and practice. It will be painful. We will have our hearts broken as we allow ourselves to see and to feel the people and the world around us through God's eyes. It's so much more comfortable not to go there. Our character will be forged and shaped in the process. I thought you'd like to hear from a, a couple of guys, Mick and Josh, who have told a bit of their st story and experience, and uh, we filmed that for you, so take a look at that. So one Thursday morning, I'm doing project work here at the Archers. Um, and I meet a young mum who's been referred to as by uh, the local authority. And I would suggest she's probably mid to late 20s. She has two young children, a young boy and a young girl. And she's just fled the matrimonial home, having suffered domestic violence for several years. And she's finally made the decision that she's going to leave. And she leaves the house with two carrier bags worth of clothing for her kids. And that's her worldly belongings. The local authority place her in a hospital, a hostel temporarily, and then find a, a small house in Nottingham that's unfurnished. So she comes to the archers wanting furniture and also house contents. And this is a very humble lady, slightly embarrassed, but 
has a lot of humility. And we're able to help her to select some furniture and we plan a delivery date for her. But the thing that impacted me with this young mom was that after we'd sorted the furniture, we tried to help her with some basic contents, knives, forks, cutlery, crockery. Um, and we take her next door to a storeroom similar to this. And I say to her, you know, so what have you got? And she says, Mick, I've got nothing. And I said, well, okay, let's, let's start here. I said, go over there, there's some cutlery over there. Take what you need and let's, let's make a start. And I, I never forget it. She walked over to this little rack where we keep the cutlery. And she picked up one knife, one fork, and one spoon. And said, could I take this? <laughs> and, and I walked over to her and I said, let's believe you're going to have some friends visit you and let's take six of each. And that really impacted me. It impacted me as I'm driving home that afternoon. It made me realize how fortunate, how blessed I am, and probably some of us are in the room. All the stuff that I have that I don't appreciate. And again, that's the power of a story. And that young mum's story and that scenario there I think has impacted more people than probably I even imagined. So anyway, fast forward a bit, and last year I find myself in a restaurant at an event with my wife, and we sat opposite um, a local businessman and his wife, and we get talking as you do. He asked me what I do now, I'm retired, and I say I play golf, I go fishing, do a bit of photography, we travel. And he says, so what else do you do, mate? And I said, well, I work at a project called The Archers Project that belongs or is affiliated to Trent Vineyard Church. And I explain a bit about the project and he's clearly interested. And I also tell him about the story in brief about the young mom and the knife and the fork and the spoon. And I know it gets him, it, it impacts him because our stories are powerful. Our stories have life. Within two weeks of that, that meal, he actually contacts me and says, would it be possible for me to come and have a look at this Archer's project? He said, I, I can't get it out of my system. I'm, I'm intrigued what, what it's about. And he comes down and he's shown around by a couple of the leaders of the project. And the guy is blown away. He's never seen anything like it. And he said, I, I can contribute to this. Now, this is not a man of faith as I understand it. But within a week of that visit to the Archer's, he contacts another friend of his who is the managing director of Hypnos Beds in the UK. Hypnos Beds is supplied to every Premier Inn hotel in the country. And he tells his friend about the archers and about the little story about the mom with the knife and the fork and the spoon. And within a week, the managing director of Hypnos Beds has supplied us with, you can probably see over my shoulder, 50 beds that he supplied the archers project to which I had the thrill of helping unload the Arctic that came. And I say that to say this, that through one story that impacts an individual, who impacts another individual, 50 other people will benefit through the generosity of those people. Hi, my name's Josh, and this is just one of my experiences from when I was on the suit run earlier this year. Uh, the suit run is where we go out with socks, food, 
um, and we just, you know, we go and comfort those who are sleeping rough on the streets. Uh, so this one guy came up to me and it transpired that that was the 22nd anniversary of his mum passing away when he was 12 years old. Um, he had an abusive father and had been put into care. And so I was stuck there as a newly graduated student, like, what can I share with this guy? I've been through none of the same experiences. Um, so in that moment, all I could do was uh, pray for him. You know, I'm fairly stunted when it comes to physical affection, but I was able to give him a hug um, and just share the love of Jesus and tell him that Jesus loved him and had a plan for him, which is obviously pretty tough to tell someone like that. You know, he'd also tried to commit suicide the year before on that day, so it was obviously a really tough day. Um, and I think what that experience did for me was it took me out of the bubble that I've been in for three years um, as a student and just showed me this stuff is happening not too far away from where we are. Um, it also taught me that we have one thing to offer in those situations um, that no one else can, and that is to pray for people and be able to share the hope of Jesus with them. Great stories. As we do this stuff, we will meet and encounter Jesus in the people we meet. There's no doubt about that. But I have to say at this point, it starts with us. Are we compassionate to ourselves? And that might sound a strange thing to say, but self-compassion is actually really key to becoming a more compassionate person. I don't know about you, but whenever I fly anywhere, which I try not to do very often, and they start doing the whole safety thing, and they stand there, the air hostess, and do the you know, exits and do this, and then they start mentioning whistles and lights and rubber rings and plunging into the ocean, I kind of, I have to say, I completely zone out. I'm like, I'm gonna die. Um, but the one bit I do always remember is the bit where they talk about, you know, if the cabin um, pressure changes and the oxygen mask falls down, always secure your own first before helping anybody else. And actually, if we don't care for ourselves, we are less effective being compassionate and caring to others. And it can easily lead to burnout if we're running on empty. And some people in the room might be feeling like that now. I know, you know, personally, this is such my thing. I just love reaching out to people. And probably from being a very young girl, I've always been kind of wired that way. But I do get overwhelmed at times, and I know my heart gets hard. For me, more than ever, I realize I do need to take care of myself, and that is okay. And I often will go back to God and say, give me your heart again, give me your heart again. I can't do this alone. I need time and space. You know, my hobbies, whether going to the gym or hanging out with great friends or, you know, whatever it is, it's important. So as we individually respond to the call and choose to embrace the cost, we are then commissioned as a people, as a church, to go and do this stuff. When we look at the commission, Charles Spurgeon, a 19th century preacher, said this, and I think brilliantly, these places of worship are not built that you may sit here comfortably and hear something that shall, pass, shall make you pass away your Sundays with pleasure. A church which does not exist to do good in the slums and dens and kennels of the city is a church that has no reason to justify its existing any longer. A church that does not exist to take the side of the poor to denounce injustice and to hold up righteousness is a church that has not the right to be. Quite hard hitting. I am delighted to say at Trent, this church, compassion has been part of our DNA right from the beginning. It's why I love this church and why I know so many of you do. It's part of the reason, to be honest, I've been around for the last 20 years. But we must never become complacent. And I know it's easy to lose heart. And it's easy to think, well, that compassion bit, that's a bit on the side. All this is so much more exciting. 
I, we made a film a while ago about kind of the compassionate journey we've, we've been on at Trent. So um, it's, quite, it's about five minutes, so sit back and enjoy it. You know what? We love our city and we wanted to be a people of action. And right from the beginning, we wanted to make a difference. Here's our story so far. When Trent started in 1996, right from the beginning, we wanted to be a church, a group of people that reached out to our communities and those in need in our city and actually make it a priority, not just an add-on. We really wanted to make a difference. To be honest, things started quite small and over the years we've seen things really grow and develop. We just wanted to be a blessing, love on people, demonstrating God's love in practical ways as well as being able to stand up for injustice. Over the years we've done this in so many different ways, it's been such an adventure. We have and continue to be a people on the move, whether it's teaching the excluded, feeding the homeless, furnishing homes, practical projects all over our different communities, visiting those in prison, sharing our homes. And also it's been so encouraging recently to see an increasing number of people in the church taking up the challenge of fostering or adopting. And just seeing young people placed in families, it's been life-changing. Over the years, as a church, it's been so encouraging that we've been able to send and support people to serve overseas in all kinds of different countries. But at a local level, we've been able to support and help people become debt-free. We've been able to offer training, work placements, and also had so many opportunities to pray for people. We've also been able to create smaller group settings, just to build community and genuine relationships. To be honest, we have seen people from all walks of life, who have and are struggling for so many different reasons. We've found that it's often just the small things done with great love that can have the biggest impact. Just recently, a man who'd been coming to our drugs clinic for a number of months suddenly mentioned he'd noticed that people had different coloured eyes. For so long, he'd held his head down. Now, finally, he was able just to lift his head up. Another person, just the other Sunday, had walked more than six miles to the church as he had no nappies and baby milk left for a seven-week-old baby. And he knew if we couldn't help him, he'd have to steal. For many families through the arches, we've been able to completely furnish their homes when they've had absolutely nothing. Recently, we had a child who'd been looked after in the arches family room, and the little boy asked if this was being on holiday, and if it was, could he come on holiday again? Through the many different small groups we have all over the city, we've been able to bless our communities in so many different creative ways. 
Over the years, one of the things that has had a massive impact on us is to be able to support hundreds of refugees and asylum seekers. Many coming to Nottingham from all over the world, often traumatised, abused and from war-torn countries. Many having to leave children and loved ones behind. And to be honest, arriving with little or nothing. It has been such a privilege to be able to welcome them, feed them, clothe them and befriend them and just have ongoing relationship with them. As the church has grown and thrived, we are increasingly known in our city. And again, it is such a privilege to serve so many different organizations, including our city councils, social services, and many others. As I reflect back over the years, we have met so many amazing, resilient, beautiful people that it has been a joy to stand alongside to love them and just see genuine transformation. We just love seeing people thrive, grow and reach their potential. But you know, in all that we do, we really long for people to meet and encounter Jesus. And over the years, it has been a highlight to see people get healed, set free and start a personal relationship with him. You know, in all of this, we've often received more than we've given and learnt more than we could ever teach as we've played our small part in so many people's lives. In all we do as a church, in the process, we are also changed and transformed. And we get to encounter Jesus in extraordinary ways, getting more of his heart and passion for the last, the lost and the least. So as I come into close, we are empowered. We have the Holy Spirit. It is a brave prayer to pray, to say, you know, Lord, use me in this way. But it will be exciting and exhilarating and life-changing. It may be against our human nature to be compassionate, but it's not against our new nature. 2 Corinthians 5 says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. We all have our part to play taking our compassionate selves to wherever it is we work, whatever it, whatever it is we do, whoever we are, in the everyday ordinary. For me, it needs to start with my neighbors. As each of us as individuals respond to the call and embrace the cost, we are then commissioned to be the human face that shows God's love by being a compassionate church. Shall we stand? <laughs>